Welcome to the Whistle Mission Outdoors Podcast. I am Jim. I'm Pat. And we are a podcast dedicated to the outdoors for the states of Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana. If your state borders Lake Michigan, this podcast is for you. We cover anything outdoors, especially hunting, fishing, mountain biking, conservation, any issues you got concerning the outdoors. And remember, if you can hear this podcast, that means you can be on it. Email us at whistlemissionpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome and enjoy the show. Go ahead, bring us in. Welcome to the news. (laughs) I thought you were going to do like a big whistle mission welcome thing. And then I was like, oh, wow, let's see where this goes. And then you said the news. So anyway, I have... That's what we're doing. I have Kelsey doing the news with me this week. Yes. And uh, just so I'm not... You know, I always get lonely down here doing it by myself. Yeah. I mean, it's a little awkward sometimes. I just hear you talking to yourself. (laughs) I did. I did have to convince her to do it. And the only way she'd do it is if I looked up the articles, sent them to her, she reads them, and then she reads them to you. Okay. But I was busy. I'm doing laundry. I'm organizing. I'm doing dinner. You know, I got... I got a couple things. Sounds like the responsibility of the woman in the household. Hmm. <laughs> Can you just smack yourself uh, for me so I don't have to reach across I your lo- get up? And the funny thing is, is because I love talking crap on this to you. And it's just like, anybody that knows me is not taking anything I say seriously. No. And neither are you. you no. Know? So, because you know, I'm just playing. That's true. Uh, anyway. Anyway, let's uh let's get into the news, which was like I don't know about you, but it just, none of it was exciting this week. I was a little I got excited one. about um the the Michigan one. I thought that was kind of interesting. It gives people something to do while they're hunting. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, um, I got one exciting Wisconsin one. I'll let you lead. Not that you want me to lead off, but yeah, uh, if you want to lead off, more no, I'll power start to. with Michigan. All right. So what do you got? All right. So this is an article you found for me from MLive.com. One of Pat's favorite sources. Oh, there you go. Its title is Michigan Hunters Asked to Help Locate 1977 Plane Crash. So it's actually a crash that involves, so the son is trying to get closure on the crash that involved his parents. Um, His name is John Block Jr. And he says his parents have been missing since July 4th, 1977, after they left Detroit in a green and white Cessna. Cessna 150, that's a type of plane, I assume. Yeah. Little guy. Um, they were planning to fly to Lost Creek Sky Ranch in Luzine. Is that how oh, you I didn't pronounce see it? I, I briefly, I kind of skimmed the article to see if it was worthy, and oh. that's when I sent it to you. So yeah. I didn't really like read the details. Um, so there's actually a video posted on the website. So if you're a hunter in Michigan or an outdoorsman, somebody who like hikes through the woods, uh, go to the website because they have a picture of what similar wreckage would look like from a plane crash and then they have a video of the plane so that you can try to like help identify this crash and bring some closure to the son who's been searching for the crash for a long time and if you are looking for it because I, I, I find cars in the woods and stuff a lot that just kind of unexplained left there type things but after 1977 i got to imagine at least a foot into the ground by now at yeah. least if not more you know you might be looking for the top of a cab instead of the entire cab yeah that's thing. why they said to go check out the video if you're gonna um like go outdoors in the in Michigan and like the back country or whatever, just because then you can see what it would look like. So cool. There you go. All right, let's uh, let's go over to Wisconsin fieldandstream.com. You're gonna love this story, Cal. Wisconsin hmm. hunter bags state's first archery elk mo- in modern history. I don't know if I love that. So see, there's a picture. Yeah, I know you you showed me the picture. Oh, you don't like the picture of the dead elk? Mm, no, I don't <laughs> like the picture of the dead elk. So Rocky Mountain elk were reintroduced into Wisconsin in the mid 1990s after the species was locally extir- extirpated. So this old cat here, what's his name? Uh, I just had it. Uh, Wisconsin Dan Evanson or Evanson um, hmm. of Cambridge. 
He shot a six by seven bull on October 15th in the Clam Lake area. I will let you buy one item on Amazon right now if you can tell me what six by seven means. Um, Come on. Feet? Come on. What? It's not feet. Feet? Yeah, it has six by seven feet. Oh, you mean like the di- uh, length of the antlers? Yeah. Uh, you're in a ballpark, but no. It is oh, uh, how many? On. So it's actually with uh, when you, you'll hear people say 10 point buck, right? Doesn't that refer to the antlers? So it, it's actually a regional thing. So 10 point buck is like kind of like a Midwestern thing to say. Hmm. But then other people tell you it's a five by five. By five. This was a six point se- six by seven. So it was six points on one side and seven on the other. Is oh. the, how many points he had on his antlers? You know, and this thing is I knew huge. it was antlers for the ten point part, so I feel like I could still buy something from Amazon. No, no, better luck next time. But it measured in at it's Boone and Crockett, two hundred and eighty three inches and seven eighths. So hmm. good for him. They go into talking about like uh, what he is. He this guy's a serious hunter. So like, if there was somebody deserving of this, it was him. Hmm. He has uh, hunted twenty five of the twenty nine big game species that make the Pope and Young Pope and Young clubs super slam. So. That he's had a lot of good opportunities, and he's he's made a lot of really like hard kills to be in like that far along in the Pope and Young Club. Uh, but the one thing I found interesting is he was one of three people to land an elk tag in Wisconsin because they're still reintroducing them. Wow! Out of over twenty five thousand applicants. Jeez. So think about that. Yeah. You know, too bad it wasn't the old Powerball numbers. But this whole article goes into how the elk, because of habitat loss and unregulated hunting through the 1880s, the elk disappeared. And then they reintroduced them through the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And now we're actually getting to the point where we could start having a season for them. Hmm. Only three, but, you know. Yeah, it's a start. It's a start. So that's Wisconsin. What do you got for us? I have Indiana. This comes from WTHR.com. I don't know if that's like abbreviated something. Um, so it's about a hunter who got more than he bargained for while he was searching for the duck that he, I guess, shot, which is sad, but whatever. Um, so it's titled Waterfall Hunter Discovers Skeletal Remains in Northern Indiana. So I guess he was looking for the down duck that he shot and found a piece of bone protruding from a piece of clothing. Uh, this was located in a marsh area near Klein Avenue and River Drive in Griffith, Indiana. Oh, okay. That's, uh, that, that's probably not far from like Michigan then. Oh. Um, investigators said that they were, um, still only partial remains, but yes, they can identify it as human, but they can't identify who or how this person died. So it's still ongoing, but I bet that Hunter was like, Ooh. So that was a fresh, fresh article I sent you then. Yeah. That was, uh, I tried to go, yeah, I tried to go as recent as possible just so it's not like, oh yeah, that's old news. No, this was pretty recent. So I have ever found the duck. Uh, Oh, I'm sure. I wonder if he gave up. I would have been like, oh, I give up. Yeah, I might, have, I might have seen the old human bone sticking out and been like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? Today's not my day. I think I would have forgotten about the duck by that point. So moving to Illinois, and I have a very boring one for you, but it is news, and it's from WCIA.com, Illinois to fund conservation planning. So pretty much uh, the DNR, or I'm sorry, Department of Agriculture, alongside with USDA Natural Resources Conservation Services, announces new grants that would hire more conservation workers. So $13.3 million in Fed and state grants would allow the hiring of 40 conser- conservation planners across the, stri- uh, across the state. Man, I'm having a hard time. You are. The planners would create and implement new plans to increase conservation efforts. Hmm. So, and it goes on to talk about how awesome this is. But so we're actually going to be expanding the DNR, which I think is a good, uh, or not DNR, but conservation officer type people. That's a good thing. So, yeah, I think so. I think uh, Illinois needs to change their whole view on, like, we were, remember we were talking about all the river access things yeah. and the DuPage River, and it's like, 
Illinois, if you want to, you know, if you want to appeal to people, people are moving out, give them a reason to stay, start, yeah. start giving them more of a reason to stay, you know, uh, loosen some laws up on things and make yeah. it more fun for people to be around. So I think they do need to go a little more, uh, outdoorsy route than the city yeah. of Chicago having that only. Well, that's all we're, <clears throat> we're known for. So it's like, oh, but what keep, what draw is that to people like us? Like mm. we hate the city. I know. So it's like. I we know. don't stay here for that, so. No, we st- we just born and raised here. You stay here yeah. kind of thing, you know. One day we'll move. I'm convinced. Yep. But, uh, for land. So this episode, we're getting into, I haven't gotten Pat's uh, thing yet, but I'm quite sure he's mm-hmm. talking about rifles uh, stuff. Okay. I don't know if it's cartridges or what. And then me and Bush, like Billy, I, I'm just kind of giving everybody a heads up. I was editing last night, and when I was writing all my notes for this, it made perfect sense the way I was writing it. And then the way I said it, I hope it's not confusing and boring as hell. So I'm waiting, kind of waiting to hear from you. Hmm. Um, it's about wetlands and this task force in Indiana and all this stuff. I'll get into it after this. But um, yeah, I'm kind of, so when I was writing it, I'm like, oh, this is great. This is great. And then I'm explaining it to Bill and he's looking at me like I had a third eye in my forehead, <laughs> you know? So I'm kind of hoping this all makes sense. Okay. And uh, I, I link it to something that's going on in Wisconsin too. Okay. And then, are you doing a Kelsey's Corner this episode? Well, no, because I didn't really have anything, and I don't think people need to hear about me deciding to start making our own bread and Yeah, everything. so the last, uh, the, I tried getting her to do a Kelsey's Corner on the fact that she is, uh, she discovered you can make your own bread, and okay. she's been going crazy, and I got Snapchats, oh my and gosh. I got I'm, recipes, Okay, and- so I got into this, I'll just say, now we're doing bread. So I got into wanting to make my own bread. Because you look at how many nonsense things are in your standard store-bought bread. And bread prices are, like, expensive. Like, we spend, like, four seventy nine for our bread right now, which is just completely crazy to me. And you look at it, and it can last, like, like that bread lasts, like, a month on our shelf. Like, that's gross. I love it. It's, I mean, it's good, yes. But at the <laughs> same time, that should not happen. If you buy bread from the bakery... It lasts maybe a week if you store it really well. So, it's, I, so you're gonna start doing like bakery type bread around the house here, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe in the future we'll have like a real Kelsey's corner on what you learned. Yes. Yes. She's uh, she's probably getting a bread maker for her birthday, which is coming. Which I'm so. like very excited because I've been looking up like sourdough bread because sourdough bread is one of the it's like actually not too bad for you because it you know doesn't have milk in it and it's. It's just really good for you. It's fermented, so. So she's turning forty in a few weeks. So I'm not I figured, turning forty. <laughs> she's turning forty. Or she's no. getting she's getting her bread maker and her her knitting kit. <laughs> well, hey, come summer summer we'll be trying to start canning. We're turning uh, into these. Uh, what are they? The homesteading people. Oh, yeah, I'm fine yeah, with it. So. I, you know, I'll grab my axe. We'll move to the woods and yep. live happily ever after. So anyway, yeah. without further ado, here is uh, we're actually going to start with Bushlight Billy going to my segment and then probably follow up finish up with pats dun 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 so yeah so let me know what you guys think and the other thing too is i'm still i'm getting a game plan together for interviewing uh like local outdoorsman type so if that is something you're interested in do not be shy we're a friendly bunch well most of us cal's cal could be grouchy as hell no i but usually i have like a baked good usually for people like here's some cookies cal's like probably the brownies. grouchiest person i know if i don't know if you can tell by the tone of her I voice think i'm grouchy <laughs> But anyway, so if that's something you're interested in, some people just, you know, have you ever been interviewed? I've never been yeah. interviewed. Maybe it'd be cool, you know? Yeah. But uh, so that's something we're going to, I want to kind of line up. Uh, I got some guys I'm going to reach out to and for the winter time. So I'm just trying to put the notice out there. I know it's October going on mm-hmm. November, but I got a couple months to really get like a schedule together. So we're not like trying to whip it all together. 
know. and then they can think of topics they want to either so talk about or be interviewed on. Or That's one thing. So anybody that's been listening to our podcast knows the kinds of things we're about. True. So I'm going to hit you with controversial things and different oh, things, you know, dun, so kind of get the, kind of get the feel of the room. So I'll once make again, you guys cookies though to easier yeah. interview. <laughs> so there probably be bush light, might be whiskey, might be, you know, anyway, so I just, I'm putting it out there. I'm probably going to say it on every episode until we really get going on it in case somebody's interested. So cool. And then that way we can start getting a schedule together. All right. Cool. Follow here, me for bread recipes. <laughs> here is the, uh, the rest of the podcast and thanks for listening to the news. Thank you. I figured we're bullshitting. We could probably bullshit on the podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah, we're just like sitting here chit-chatting. So it's just, I already hit record, so maybe I'll leave that in there. Oh, you know? yeah. So well, I'm anyway. here with me today. I have Bush Light Billy. Hello again. And uh, yeah, so tell me about your week. Uh, it was a pretty standard week. Uh, worked a lot. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it. I actually had to take Friday off because I'm still sick, Jim. I know. My voice is better, but I'm back. Uh, I'm I, getting a lot better, though. I was going to... Uh, the store on Friday, and I'm pulling in the parking lot. I'm like, I know that Explorer, and I'm like, I know that, I know that Tacoma. And looking uh, at it, and I'm like, hey, it's like two typical Midwesterners. We roll down the window. Yeah. Going on, <laughs> stop right here in the middle of the parking lot. <laughs> Why aren't you at work? Uh, I feel like shit. I'm going to the I'm going to the pharmacy to get a prescription because you've been battling this now for I mean, <laughs> what two three weeks? Yeah, I've been battling this on and off for about. Yeah, about three weeks now. So, but finally today's the first day I woke up and actually felt fine and didn't have to take date or yeah, Dayquil. So it sounded you sound good. Yeah. yeah. How yeah, about not, last night? You want to tell them about what happened last night? Oh my god. So we Kel, blame Kelsey for this. So like three weeks ago, Kel asked me, "Hey, what are you doing on October twenty second? And me, being a dummy, said nothing. <laughs> and she said, "Good, you're coming to the haunted corn maze with us." And I'm like, "All right, I've done it before. It's not terrible, you know." wasn't that bad but this night last night was bad yeah and i was already like i was planning on going hunting this morning and i I was already that was my sixth day i worked yesterday you know and i went from afternoons i had to get off on afternoons and be up and at work at six o'clock in the morning so that's rough and then you get to go stand in line literally a long line for two and a half hours yeah i was gonna say i think it was actually closer to three wasn't it it was closer to three yeah but you know, for the benefit of the doubt, I'll say two and a half. It it was for a, for a fifteen minute corn maze, if that. Yeah, and then like, it wasn't the, even a corn maze. It was a corn path. You walk through the corn and like somebody you jumps out at you. Somebody Ooh. jumps out at you like maybe five times. Like it was, it was bad. <laughs> I was over, and it, the line ruined it because it's like if 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 it was a fifteen minute wait and you walk through it. It would have been okay. Yeah, you would have been a lot less upset about the whole situation. But by the time I walked in there, I was pissed off. I didn't oh, want yeah. to be there. Yeah, I was. And it's like, all right, let me get through this so I can get out of here, so I can get home and yeah. I can get to bed. You know, because we got there at seven o'clock and we weren't home. When, when did we get home? About ten forty-five. It was eleven. It was, eleven. Yeah. It okay. Was, it was. I think I. Uh, I plugged my phone in at eleven twenty-one. It was cool hanging so. out with my brothers and my mom, and my sister. Yeah. And, no, that was know. great. But uh, no more no more corn mazes for me. That you're surrounded by kids. And, yeah, I felt way too old to be there. I yeah. felt like I felt like I was like taking a class on a field trip. Like I was a chaperone for yeah, a field right? trip. You know, I'll do the fall thing. I'll do the hay rides and stuff. But my fall thing is sitting in the woods waiting to shoot a pointy stick at a deer. Yeah. That's my that's my fall activity, which I did this morning. Uh, I didn't shoot a pointy stick at anything. I almost texted you because I I. I drove past your house and I saw your car was gone and I was like, okay, he's out hunting. And when I drove back, back again, you were actually sitting in your garage, but you're on the phone. I didn't, I didn't stop. 
Oh, it's probably about to work out. <laughs> yeah, but that's like, what I figured. But I was going to text you, deer up. Because <laughs> deer's not down. Um, So I got out there this morning. I got out there early, too. I got out there. I mean, sunrise. What did we say sunrise was? 710? And I was probably in my spot at 5. Oh, wow. Or, no, I was in my spot at 6, I'm going to say. What's Maybe legal, a little before. What's legal shooting? 30 hours? minutes before. So, like, I could like 20 to 7, I could have shot. So I was in there a good 40, 45 minutes early. And then... uh. But it's funny, this place that we go to, I've been taking a mountain bike because it's so big. Let's just put it this way. Me and Dan were in the same field today, but at different spots. And so we were literally like in the same stretch of trees. Like if you look at the end of these trees, there's Dan on the other side of them. Okay. Right? But that's probably, he's probably a mile away, you know? Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's how big compared to what we're used to. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I sat out there. I was going to, I didn't bring the saddle because I'm like, you know what? I want to be able to cover some ground. And see if I could figure out where deer were moving. So instead of like focusing on finding a tree and sitting in that one tree for so many hours and then coming home, I'm gonna go on the ground. And I so I did yeah. that. Started off on the ground. Actually made that TikTok you just saw where yep. I'm just like sitting there and you know. Uh and then so it wasn't working really close close to the brush. So I moved out into the tall grass and I moved out a little bit, moved out a little bit. So my theory after that was, you know what, even if I spook a deer, at least I know they were in the grass. Yeah. Next time I'll know that they were in the grass. No, right. I didn't even do that. I'm looking out over, I don't know how many hundreds of acres of like tall grass, actual prairie with binoculars and never never spotted a deer. Wow. Yeah. Dan thinks when he was walking in, he was walking in and something got up and took off, bolted, you know? Yeah. He's convinced it was a deer. He says, I mean, otherwise it was a coyote or something. He goes, but I don't know. Or, he goes, you know, maybe a sheep. But I did. So there was a couple of things I wanted to do. I'm and, kidding, by the way. Uh, what's that? I said maybe a sheep or a goat. <laughs> I didn't hear it. Sorry. I was like thinking on my next thought. Um, but the one thing I did order is I did finally order a deer cart. I've been talking about it for a year and I finally ordered one. What's a deer cart? It's like this two wheel dolly made of steel that it's like, you just kind of roll it up. And then if you shoot a deer, you throw it on it and roll it out, but you can also use it for gear. Okay. So I'm actually going to turn this into a trailer for my bike. So I can carry, because like right now I wanted to take the ground blind out with me this morning. I wanted the ground blind. And I put my backpack on, put my, tried putting a uh, ground blind on and have a bow and sit on a mountain bike. No, not happening. You're not, not happening at all, man. Yeah. Not even close. And so you're either, so I decided it's either a mountain bike or a ground blind. So I was like, well, if I get a, if I get a cart and then I make it like a nice rigid connection to the bike. You could do both, you know? Yeah. So that's my goal. So I ordered one. I should be here this week. Just get you a little uh, red wagon. So I, I know. I was looking. Remember? Oh, you, no, you didn't, you didn't go with us. But it, it, this year when we went to Waukegan a lot for the salmon, these guys all had these little cloth fold-up wagons. like Just like, like you're talking, the little red flyer wagon. Yeah. And uh, But they're like a fold-up version. They got all their tackle and their, and their rods and their buckets. And they you know and they just pull this little cart out because that, the walkway in Waukegan is huge. Yeah. And... um. I'm like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And then so I told Pat that I bought this thing. He goes, oh, we could use it at Waukegan next year. So he wants to bring the deer cart out yeah. our fishing stuff out to Waukegan. You yeah. know? Multi-use. You could actually use it for ice fishing. Uh, the one thing he said that I didn't even think of, but like somebody like Kel with a million flowers, she could use this in the garden. So there's actually a lot of uses for a deer cart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I ended up ordering one of those. And uh, But yeah, otherwise I did have a very boring week. Because it was just a ton of overtime. I think it was fifty-eight hours this week. Yeah. You know, we're on uh, we're on six-hour days, or not six-hour days, six days a week, and optional Sundays. Oh wow, that is busy. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be like this probably till the end of the year, at least. 
Yeah, I know you haven't had much time. You're going to go over a lesson today. Well, I'll tell you what. Do you want to jump into it, what we're going to talk about? Yeah, yeah. Are you Anything else you want to say about the week or anything? Any updates? Any catch-ups? Nothing? No, it was a pretty boring week, honestly. I know. I have nothing. <laughs> I'm trying to like come up with something good. I'm enjoying the weather. I'm enjoying it's finally getting cooler, although this weekend it was a little warm, but... I love having the windows open. The one thing, because uh, me and Pat are talking more and more and more, and I've been saying it for a while, but like I'm actually getting serious, is I want to get back into like filming and actually like go the YouTube route, yeah. TikTok route. So that video I made today, if anybody goes on my TikTok, I'll try and have it in the description. Um, but that TikTok today, all that was was me filming myself. So I actually had like three hours of footage, and that you just caught, you just saw what I got out of three hours of footage. I just cut it down, but I was actually like kind of practicing filming myself. Is that on your phone or the GoPro? GoPro. Huh. Yeah. So I had the GoPro out and I was just just setting it up and doing different angles. How do you transfer and, it to TikTok? Oh, it's a it's a process. And I actually edited most of that on Adobe and then I, I put it on OneDrive and then downloaded it off of that to put it up on TikTok and then add the music to it. But yeah, that was a that was just a GoPro footage of the hunt this morning. Yeah. Um, but so me and Pat were talking about it. He's actually, he's looking into cameras again and yeah, I really, to... I just want to bring a camera out every time, even if I'm not going to make a video out of this hunt that you have footage to go back on to make something with kind of thing. So I heard you, you, Pat and Joe talking yesterday about cameras and stuff. And I was like, I know some of those words. <laughs> I know I'd heard three of those words before. RT7X with the dual low, the dual low bless super, what the hell? Well, Joe's, Joe's a Sony guy. So those guys are kind of like the, uh. I'm trying to think of what you'd call the Sony. I, I, I know whoever is. If anybody listening to this is into Four cameras, guys. they're into they're into like the Sony thing. No, but they're like the uh, the tea sipping, you know, tactical. Yeah, yeah, like tactical kind of like uppity up, you know, like the, the uh, Ivy League the style yuppie. people. Yeah, the yuppies, the yuppies. Yeah. Me, I'm a full proclaimed Nikon guy, so it's like more of the blue collar route. You know, it fits me. When I think know. of Sony, I think of PlayStation. So. Like anybody that has a Sony looks down on you for not having a Sony. You know, they're that type. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. yeah. They are badass cameras though. But I'm just not <laughs> spending the money on it. No way. Yeah. There's no way. Anyway, so well I'll tell you, I'll leave it up to you. Do you want to start off with Bushlight Billies or do you want to start off with what I got going on here? Let's get Bushlight Billies out of the way and then let's have a good discussion on yours. Go ahead, hit it. I've got a lesson for you, Jim. I know. I want to hear this too. Don't smoke a meatloaf. Okay. And why would you not smoke a meatloaf? <laughs> because it turns out terrible. Some things are just meant for the oven. So I I wanted meatloaf. It's that time of year you just want that like meat and potatoes, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's a million, trillion recipes for meatloaf. I make it the way that I always have that my mom did. So it's it's ground beef, you know, a finely chopped onion, um, some Italian seasoning, an egg and some breadcrumbs stupid easy there's and that that's just our recipe uh there's a million other ones out there so i thought let's smoke it why don't let's let's give this a shot so you mix all the ingredients together um and then you i you had a light glaze so the glaze that i use is it's ketchup a little bit of vinegar and some brown sugar Mix that up. I actually added some hot sauce to this one. Just a couple of dashes. Like, oh, let's try this. You know, this will be cool. Smoked hot meatloaf. And uh, whisk that all up. Give it a little painting before you put it on there. And I didn't put it directly on. Obviously, didn't put it directly on the grill. Um, I put it on like an actual like loaf pan. Formed it into a loaf and everything and put it on there. Set the smoke to like 350 just like I would my oven. Kept checking on it. Kept checking on it. It just falls apart. 
Yeah, I was wondering if it would like. I wonder. I was if for some reason it doesn't seem like it would bind to me. No, it was terrible. It was, and I was like, oh, I'll get a nice smoky meatloaf. No, no, it just basically turned into a hamburger. Yeah, I mean, I still ate it because it's like, well, I made this, but uh, I think the lesson I learned is uh, some things are just better. Uh, Better left in the oven. Yeah, like, just just the old fashioned way. Don't yeah. try and you know get it all fancied up. You wouldn't you wouldn't fry a chicken. You it's like I kept thinking to myself. I'm like, okay, if I'm gonna fry something, I'm gonna heat up oil on the stove and fry it. I'm not gonna heat up oil on the smoker and then fry it because it just doesn't make sense. You know, um, it's like some things are just better left in the oven. So that I was agree. A, there's some. There's just like some of those old. The reason why they did them that way is because it just worked. You know. Yeah. Right. It's like I love doing things on the grill and experimenting and stuff. I actually bought a uh, pizza stone, a big giant pizza stone. So I want to try and do homemade pizzas on the grill. Oh, I've nice. heard. I've heard that they uh, they turn out really good. Yeah, a I couple would, of guys at work do them. I would love to try that. You know, I would oh, definitely yeah. love to try that. Well, maybe we'll do that. Maybe I'll do that next weekend. Yeah, I got, got a giant time. ass pizza stone, man. It's huge. If, how big do you think? I mean, if you had to put it diameter inches wise, uh, it's probably twenty four inches in diameter. Oh, okay, that'd be a good pizza. Oh yeah, that'd be a good pizza. If you load it with veggies, you could probably get Kelly eat it. If we want to keep Kelly away from it, we'll put some some sort of meat on it. Oh, I'll do half and half then. Okay, I'll do something like that. I'm thinking, but no. So that was a quick lessons learned on my part. Yeah, he was telling me today. He goes, "I don't have a recipe for you, but I was thinking I want to do a do not do this." Well, meatloaf meatloaf is one of those things. It's like you know, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. There's only so many different things you put on it. Like you know, it's it's how you've done it. And there's yeah, a million recipes, and everyone claims they make the best meatloaf. But yeah, to me, it's just the same thing. I love it. It's very. It's a. It's a guaranteed, reliable go to. It is. But, Except when you smoke it and it turns out dry and just falls apart and it's like, did but like, I do it's, something it, wrong? I it's just, one of those foods. It's like French fries. For instance, like there's no fancy version of it and there's no poor version of it. It just is the thing that it is. Pot roast. Yeah, you know? right. It's, it's hard to screw up a pot roast. Right. No, meatloaf. It's I love meatloaf, but uh, don't do it on the smoker. Some things just keep traditional and do it in the oven. So, yeah, let's look into maybe making something uh, something over the fire pit. Yeah, we we should definitely try that. Do, do like homemade pizzas over the fire next week. Yeah, I would like. I think that'd be awesome. To try let's that. try. It. That's some like caveman pizza. Yeah. You know, I'm totally down for it. Oh yeah, I know Kyle would be. She loves. She would. She would definitely. I got to get like maybe you know maybe I'll look up, order from Amazon one of those like old school pizza. Oh, like the big paddles. The big paddles. Yeah. Uh, It'll be cool. Let's try it. Let's do an experiment yeah, next week. I'm, I, let me see if I can make a rack for the fire pit so we could put the stone on it right yeah. over the fire. He'll be out there like cavemen making pizza. You I'm know? totally down. For oh, that. yeah, me too. But anyway. Anyway, so you want to move on to my topic now? Yeah. I'm yeah. moving on to like a little deeper of a, a thing here, and it's uh, environmental type stuff. And I wanted you to be here because I feel like you're going to have something to say. But today I'm talking about wetlands, and I'm linking a couple of things together here. It's not okay. just just not just a generic overlay. What do you like? What do you know of wetlands? When, you, when I say. There, that's a wetland over there. Like, what runs through your mind? There's nothing over there that is something over there that is. Like, what's what's your take on wetlands? Um, I picture um, cattails, six, you know, maybe six inch deep water, mud, blue herons. Yeah, you step in it, you're up to your ass immediately. Yeah, you get that. Yeah, on, <laughs> on your boot. Mosquito bites, all that. Yeah, and blue then, herons, frogs. That's what I think of wetlands. So, but like when you, when you see them, do you think it's a waste of something, or do you do you see it as its own 
entity. Like it needs to be there, just like uh, a gas station needs to be there or a uh, mountain needs to be there. Like what, what's your take when you see a wetland in the middle of nothing? Well, I think it should be there because it supports wildlife. Yeah. Okay. I was just, just curious because like when you're reading different things on wetlands, you get these developers and they're like, there's nothing there. It's like, no, that, that is, that's a thing, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it supports, well, it's a habitat. So just to start it off with wetlands, this is from epa.gov. I got some of these facts and I just Googled, why are wetlands important? All right. Okay. It says wetlands serve a lot of purposes, including controlling water quality. So it actually is like a filter for the earth. That you makes know? sense. Okay. Yeah. It takes water, holds water, lets some seep down. So let some, you know, go out into somewhere else and flow a river or whatever. Uh, it also helps with habitat for, um, Humans, fish, and animals. So, like yep. we said, you know, um, strong uh, storing floodwaters. So, you know, yeah. when you do get those big, heavy, you know, oh, we got four inches of rain last night. You look at a wetland and it's all swelled up. It's like it gets to hold there instead of being where you live. You right. know, and if you just drain it, you know, then it goes out. You yep. know, um, and then maintaining surface waters during dry periods. Now, this is an interesting one. Because I was just listening to somebody or something about out west, how like the actual like surface water, like through the Dakotas on south, Kansas, Nebraska, is like it's pretty much like dried up. Like it, they don't have like that water table. You know how like here if you drill down, like for instance our neighborhood, for instance, if you drill down one one inch, you're in water. <laughs> yeah, I mean our sump pumps run all year, yeah. so I mean you, that means the water table is nine feet down or whatever. You know. Yeah. So, but wetlands, when they stay full and everything else is flowing, but everything else starts drying up, the wetlands kind of, you know, are supplemental to that water supply okay. that is normally there until the rains fill back up and then everything's back. So I didn't know that. Neither did I. So I thought that was very interesting. And then wetlands are among the most productive ecosystems along with coral reef and rainforest. Now, this is from the government. You know, this isn't yep. like some, this isn't some group that's pushing that thing. They're just, this is just the EPA talking. So they're saying wetlands are just as important of an ecosystem. I mean, you hear how coral reefs dying. You know, it, yeah. it has that white thing that turns. They, you they might... bleach, coral, coral bleaching. Okay, and it, but it, when they bleach, they're dead, right? Like, you can't bring that back? Correct. That's well, a, they, that... they, if they bleach for a certain period of time and the water water temperature raises above a certain level, then they're dead. Okay. So, yes. And then rainforest, I mean, remember when the Amazon was on fire? Yep. That, that was like, I forget what they said, the percentage of oxygen that produced for the world type thing, you know, and it's just burning. But they're saying wetlands are in the same ballpark as those two things. Yeah. So uh, vast amounts of different foods attract many types of animals. So, I mean, that makes sense. You know, a frog will live there, um, you know, insects, deer will come Dragonfly, in Dragonfly, yeah. So just, just for food availability for the wildlife is there. And then important part of watershed, which is defined as, oh, you know what? Okay. So let me repeat that. So important part of a watershed. And a watershed is, I did not know that the watershed had its own definition, is a geographical area in which water sediments and dissolves materials drain from high elevations to a common low-lying outlet or basin at a point on a larger stream, lake, or underlying aquifer or estuary. Did you get all that? Yeah, let me repeat it back to you. Yeah, go um, ahead. So... Pretty much, it's a geographical area which water and sediments dissolve and they move and they go out to a stream, lake, another common body of water. Kind of goes back to the filtering. So, they, but I mean, like, so you look at the watershed, for instance, and I remember reading, uh, what was the, oh, I can't remember the book. This kid was exploring an unexplored river, one of the last uh, unexplored rivers out of Hudson Bay. Okay. But like they refer to Hudson Bay, the south where he was, they actually have polar bears and all that there. 
but they actually refer to that as a watershed because it's like, yeah, you have Hudson Bay, but Hudson Bay is also the reason for these wetlands on the southern tip of it, and it flows into these. Like, that's all considered a watershed. That's right. why I thought that was kind of important. So, like, we live so close to Lake Michigan. This is technically a Lake Michigan watershed, or you could say a Mississippi watershed, you know? Right, yeah. So, it's just it's it's a lot bigger than just a lake, you know? It's like, well, it's a lake. That means this. That means that. Anyway, okay. so... Um, human products from wetlands include fish, blueberries, cranberries, timber, and rice. So how many, how many cultures have you been a part of in the past few years that need rice to survive? Uh, a lot. Yeah. You've been, (laughs) if you've, have you seen rice fields like that where they're underwater? So you've seen all that? Yep. I've seen cranberries. I've never seen a blueberry one, you know? I've never seen cranberries, but yeah, rice fields. Yeah. When they flood them, people are out there in ankle deep water. Yeah. But, I mean, that's cultures, thousands of years, millions of years, oh, or yeah. thousands of years worth of cultures doing that. The world needs rice. So, oh, yeah. Uh, floods. So, for wetlands, floods, natural sponge that traps rain, snow melt, and groundwater. Tree roots and vegetation slow the speed of the water distribution. All of this together controls erosion. So, pretty much a wetland will control erosion from... I believe it. Yeah. It I could, especially probably. when they say the, said the tree roots, you know? Yep. So, you got the importance of uh, of wetlands. I'm right? gonna add to that migratory birds. Oh yes, yes. I didn't. I can't believe I didn't have that. Yeah, I would think migratory birds would be a, a major thing for that for like ducks and yeah. Everything. And then it's funny you say that because like there's this whole thing going on with lead ammo and all that, you know, and uh, shooting into water into uh, wetlands, you know, at waterfowl with lead ammo and then water lead poisoning and all that. Oh wow, I didn't hear about that. Oh, there's that makes there, sense. Huge studies about like how many how many birds actually have like lead poisoning going on so let's dial this into something a little more specific then we're going to move in indiana all right so indiana this is from uh the indiana environmental reporter they had a task force that they put together for wetlands and so indiana wetlands task force final report favors wetland protection so not that i want to get into politics but the Obama era brought a lot of protections for environmental for and a lot of things all over the country. The Certainly Trump era did. tore it down. Yep. And then but now they're like, who was right? And it comes out that, you know, the protections are needed. So current laws provide short term economic benefits to farmers and developers of the cost of a long term flooding issues. So they're cutting deals with all the different farmers like uh for I'm sure there's something to do with no-till, you know, farming yeah. or till farming and all that, and then developers are allowed to build on it and things like that. Okay. Um, task force was formed after a 2021 law introduced by members of the Indiana Builders Association that stripped the state protections for more than half of the 800,000 acres of wetlands and weakened the remaining protections. You follow me there? So it stripped the state protections for more than half of 800,000 so the 800,000 is important. That is what's left of wetlands in the state of Indiana. 800,000 acres. Right. And then that law that they signed in 2021, uh, like stripped down the laws and they, they're saying, no, 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 we need these laws back. Like we're, we're, so we were already down. The one thing that is, uh, I'll probably say it in a sec, again, a second, but that 800,000, yeah. that's after 85% of the wetlands have been removed from Indiana in history. So that's what oh. that's that's the remaining fifteen percent of what what Indiana had. True natural, true wetlands. natural wetlands. So the task force was tasked in finding. I got a bunch of different things. Uh, mitigating costs incurred by builders seeking to develop wetlands. So they get these developers, and that's why I was asking you what when you see a wetland, 
do you see apartment buildings should be there or do you see that's a natural ecosystem? Like, like just like people's mindsets when you drive past a, you know, there's logs sticking out and shallow water and a bird. And it's like, are you thinking that's nothing? Or are you thinking it's something? No, I'm thinking that's absolutely something that's nature. And in, in it's, in its finest. I mean, that's just like walking through the forest. Yeah. In, in my mind. And part of me even would, uh, would question even why developers would be interested in wetlands because of how difficult it would be to destroy them and what you're going to put there. I just know like when my folks built their place, they built on a wet lot, wetter than ours. Yeah. You know, and I, I think about those guys wanting to build anywhere near that. I'm thinking you're nuts. It's like, you see you're this nuts. big, you see this big mud puddle. Let's build a house here. Yeah. Let's put a, build a house here. I'm sure that won't have any problems in a few years after the concrete settles and cracks, you know? Well, look at that farm field over there on 45. It started out as a big giant puddle. It's a wetland now. It is a wetland there's now. cattails. Like it's, it's all roped off. Like we joked about there. that in high school, but I remember the one time it rained really hard and filled up and it never went away. That was like 15, 20 years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. You know? It's a wetland now. Like you could probably fish there. You probably, I bet you there's something in there. Oh yeah. There's gotta be some sort of life in there. But anyway, so this task force was tasked with finding, uh, a way to explore flood reduction benefits and carbon dioxide storage potential. So that's one thing that they're really pushing on these wetlands in Indiana is we don't have, we can't store the carbon dioxide like, uh, you know, because it, it, it actually absorbs it out of the ground, out of the air yeah, and reduces greenhouse gas. I mean, it's greenhouse gas, you yep. know, and they're saying, so the more you take this away, the more carbon dioxide we're going to have above the state of Indiana. Like we need this just for carbon dioxide storage and you guys yeah. are, you guys are killing it faster. You already took 85% of it. This is what we have left and you're still trying to kill it. Well, imagine all the plants and the algae. Oh yeah, and especially like when it, uh, you know, when it grows and dies, grows and dies, like all that's got to go somewhere. I read know? somewhere that uh, algae, algae in the ocean and uh, fresh water, like basically algae in the water, consumes more carbon dioxide than all the trees. Really? Yeah. Because Interesting. Of, because of how well, think about how fast the ocean is, and they have these algae blooms that consume. I heard it a long time ago. I don't know if that's true. Don't fact check me on that one. All right, but still an interesting thought. I mean, well, like, for instance, uh, when they were talking about I did that thing on the Great Lakes with zebra mussels. Yeah. There are so many zebra mussels that uh, it filters Lake Michigan, uh, all the water in Lake Michigan, every two weeks. Wow. Yeah. That's how many zebra mussels are in there now. Yeah. That's Related kinda... to that, I heard, uh, also heard, I don't know if it's true, that there are more trees on Earth than stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Hmm. Hmm. We're getting off on a tangent. That's that, cool, though. That's that, cool. That would be a uh, a good one to research. That would be. That'd be interesting. I might anyway. have a little do a little tidbit on that. Yeah. Anyway, so they investigate strategies to incentivize the. Sorry, my writing is terrible. Uh, incentivize the avoidance of isolated wetland impacts during development. So they want pretty much they're just like looking for ways for developers to come in and take it more seriously. You know. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Task Force held five meetings in 2022, and this is what they came up with. <clears throat> so these are actually like the five results or however many results there are. So the loss of wetlands along with climate change, altered precipitation patterns requires both regulatory and non-regulatory approaches and incentives. You follow me there? It's all like and non-regulatory? Like- I did not, out of all this reading, I could not tell you the difference between regulatory and non-regulatory uh, approaches to wetlands. Kind of sounds like, like, you know, hey, we're following the rules, except this time. We're following these rules and the other rules. It's like, what do we, I thought we were all playing the same thing. Right. Same thing here. So let me see here. 
Is this all making sense or no? Am I, yeah. am I kind of blurting over too no, much? No, this is making sense to me, yes. So Indiana needs to focus on its own efforts on state program improvement and address state-level needs instead of relying on the feds. That's another thing they came up with. Yeah. So they pretty much say ditch the feds, ditch the, d- stop. We, we got to go on our own if we're going to save what we have. They have to go on their own. They have to get everything back on the same page. Right. So changes to Fed regs uh, limited the law's impact on the loss of isolated wetlands, but Bill SEA 389 provided short-term economic benefit to farmers and developers at the cost of long-term flooding issues. So that so this bill pretty much let's boil that down. So that bill that they signed in 2021 or 2020, whatever I said it was, um, it was all in favor of economic development. And not of wetlands. So now they're saying now that those are irreversible damages you had. So yeah. now you guys have a flooding issue, statewide flooding issue. You have now have to address. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you you took away all your storage tanks of rainwater and snow melt, and not all of it, but you know what I mean. Right. So now you're going to have to do something about it. Now you have to do something about it. So that's another thing they came up with. So here's another one that they came up with. Is state agency problems with staffing and resources have negatively impacted regulatory programs, including wetlands. So They can't I, staff them. To... Yeah, so like pretty much uh, I guess it sounds like they just can't get the help to do it. Right? Now, would that I mean, be DNR? Or? DNR or uh, I guess it could be an EPA type thing. Do they have yeah. their own EPA statewide? I'm not sure. You I'm know? Not, yeah, I don't. I'm sure DNR is in there somewhere. Oh, right. Absolutely. They should be. So Purdue University, actually, they had a report entered into record the importance of carbon dioxide storage in isolated wetland flood reduction benefits. So after this was all going on, Purdue's like, hey, we got a piece of paper here. You guys got to see. We get you, This has got to go somewhere with your argument. Mm-hmm. And it's saying that how important that carbon dioxide storage is in the ground. Somebody did a thesis on that, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, somebody's got their name on it for sure. Task force says local communities should incentivize preservation. So in any ways they can, you know, uh, recommend investment at voluntary conservation programs that assist landowners. So between that incentivizing, so like if you were the owner of a wetland, you know, you got 60 acres in your backyard, 40 of which are wetlands. You're like, there's nothing I can do with that. I'm going to sell it to this guy for apartment buildings. They're like, no, 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 no. Here, we'll show you how to take care of it and make this thing grow and be a thing. They want to incentivize you wanting that wetland. Yeah, that's good. Um, This task force also recommended not to align with Army Corps because they do not require uh, qualitative assessments of wetlands and only base the type of wetlands on the dominant vegetation. So they they only look at the main flower out there, say this one's good or this one's bad based on that one plant. They don't do water tests. They don't do soil tests. They don't do any kind of testing. They look at a plant and tell you, yeah, they're judging a book by its cover. Wow. So, like I said, the uh, the state has lost 85% of the original wetlands. So, that is what I have for Indiana. So, what do you – here, let's, like, uh, let's do, like, a debriefing on that before I hit you with something else. All right. So, what, I mean, what do you think? Like, just uh, – did you understand what that task force was doing? Pretty much saying, like, you guys screwed up. Yeah. So, we they evaluated a bill that, that was written and then taken away, and then here's the results. Yeah. Like you guys screwed up, and this is this is what you're going to have to deal with. We need to do something about this, or you need to do something about this because this is these are the problems. I wonder if they'll create like another wetland. Like will they like will they start like creating wetlands? Can you start creating wetlands? Is that I, a thing? I don't know. I mean, are wetlands 
thousands of years old you know I, i'm just curious you know like how could you bring how could you bring back 85 percent of wetlands and 800 acres 800,000 acres was 85 percent or 15 percent left of what they had my god yeah i mean that's big numbers that's you know huge numbers so that they're gonna build apartments and warehouses on let's go kitty corner to wisconsin all right and mining company moves ahead with plans to drill in northern wisconsin all right oh boy yeah Everybody's got their eye out for northern Wisconsin. Uh, the one thing that drives – here's the part that really drives me nuts. A Canadian mining company is moving ahead. This is – oh, this is from w, uh, WisconsinPublicRadio.com. So a Canadian mining company is moving ahead with plans to drill for copper and gold in northern Wisconsin and may soon submit plans to drill for gold near Wausau. Wausau, really? Yeah. So – Greenlight Metals is doing business, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's a 40-acre site, and they are the, the deposit is believed to have 4 million tons of mostly copper and gold. 4 million tons. All right? That, dude, I mean, that is serious, you know? That's big numbers. So, but the biggest thing, so I, I'm kind of tying this together. I was, like, looking around for different things, and I'm tying this together because they are drilling through a wetland to get to it. That's uh, so this is all going to be in the cost of a wetland. So they're going to drill a bunch of holes and trying to find that spot. The company is proposing to drill a six new sites on private and federal land where Greenlight is leasing mineral rights from Sioux Line Railroad. So here, I'm going to switch to this other article because this is a little easier to read. But this is uh, WJFW.com. Canadian company plans to develop mines in Wisconsin, including the Northwoods. So the Chickamegan <clears throat> Nicolette. National Forest, the Ice Age National Scenic Trail, and the Dells of Eau Claire State Natural Natural Area are all targeted for mining development. The Dells in Eau Claire. So, yeah. The DNR received Greenlight's notice of intent for exploration drilling near the Eau Claire Dells on October 7th. The plan would follow a 450-foot deep open pit mine to be constructed. Drilling the mine would also include having nine boreholes drilled in wetlands up to 650 feet deep. Yeah. All right. No. So this is the part I love. It maybe maybe somebody can explain it to me, but it doesn't make sense to me. Hazardous waste would not be allowed to seep directly into wetlands. Waste would be captured inside recirculation tanks, loaded at each drill site, and then disposed of in pits at higher elevations on the property. Doesn't things flow from high to low? Yeah, things flow downhill. So anyway, I just wanted to tie that little thing in with the whole wetlands theme. It's like they're uh, Indiana's like, hey, we got to preserve it. Here's how. And then Wisconsin's like, yeah, go ahead, drill a hole. Yeah, <laughs> you know, to a Canadian company. Yeah, come on down here, drill this 650 foot hole in the wetland. So I guess I just want to have you along. You didn't, I know you didn't have too much to say, but I kind of I wanted. Yeah, well, to, uh, it's all interesting. You know, I personally like on the south side here in Chicago, like we have forest preserves, and many of those forest preserves are wetlands. Yeah, I mean, Orland Park is. A wetland. Yeah, pretty know? much, yeah. I mean, where I grew up in Oak Lawn, like, th there was a little nature preserve there that's a wetland. Yeah, and it flooded a lot, and yeah. and uh, But, like, that's what I mean, like, this whole southern tip of Lake Michigan, it's like, if you look at what's made up of uh, the southern tip of Hudson Bay, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's just that here is, you know, it's more developed, so it's not as, like, watery. Right. But... Pretty much, it's the same. It's that whole watershed. You know, it's just like it's that slowly. It used to be here, and it's like draining back. Yeah. So it's like still kind of wet. I'm know? all for protecting them, like yeah, I didn't, at all means. I guess I wanted to show the uh, importance of them. 
You know, it's right. like, it's not just a, it's not just a puddle. It's not just something after a rainstorm. It's like, no, that's a whole ecosystem. There's snakes and frogs and all kinds of different things. And people come or animals come in to eat. And you could argue it's even a bigger ecosystem than like what a normal forest would be. Yeah. You know, there's more, there's more animal, moving parts. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's it, in my mind, it's the same as a forest. It's the same as, you know, anything else. Like don't tear it down. No. To put apartments or where Yeah, just to make a buck. The biggest thing is just to make a buck. Like last week we were talking about uh, Camp Grayling, you know? Mm-hmm. And like me and Pat were talking after the episode. Like me and him were talking about like what all the things we went over. Yeah. And like he even said, he goes, the one thing that makes it sting a little less is it's not just for one person's greed. They're not going to screw up 10,000 years of, a, you know, development just to make. To put a warehouse in. Right. And make a buck. Right. Put a warehouse in there to last 20, 30 years, and then, you know, now the ground's permanently screwed up. And yeah. It's actually for our self-defense. And so, like, for, that's why it weighed on me differently than everything else, you know. Right. But the wetlands, I mean, I don't care who you are. Probably should leave, you wouldn't tear out the coral reef, would you? No. You wouldn't tear down the rainforest. It's I like guess that guy through a coral reef for oil. Yeah, right. You know. So that's all I have for my little segment. I appreciate you sticking around. And uh, he cooked an excellent dinner tonight for us, me and Cal. We had some big old steaks. and Some decent steaks, yeah. So listen to story time tomorrow, by the way. Do you know what tomorrow is? Friday. I know, but like, do you know what uh, uh, what, uh, what the story is going to be? No. Resurrection Mary. Oh, really? Yeah. Monica just left. We just recorded it. So she just left. I got to do all the editing, but it should be up Friday. So oh, anybody perfect. listen to this, if you want to hear one of the most famous ghost stories of the Chicagoland area, it is Resurrection Mary. Yep. So, well, thanks for coming on, Bill, and thanks hey, for dinner. Thanks for having me. Next up is Pat's Bench. For anybody that knows him well, he is our resident gadget guy. So he takes care of all this type of equipment. He's got great opinions. And here is a very non-intimidating way to understand rifles and cartridges for hunting. Hey guys, welcome back to Pat's Bench. And today on the bench, we got something a little bit different than what we normally talk about. And what that is, is rifles. And the reason I want to talk about it is rifle season's coming up here. Um, you know, of course, where we live, you can't really, you know, you can't use them. Uh but a lot of traditional hunting styles are just done with a rifle. And I'm going to go over with what I think would be a very nice basic uh, rifle setup for you to go get started and, you know, go get in the action with a rifle. Now, of course, there's a lot of there's a lot more safety concerns when it comes to a rifle and rifle hunting. And there's orange and all that stuff. We're not going to talk about any of that. Uh, not that I'm not trying to be safe. It's just that, well, <laughs> we're just talking about the we're talking about the implement. We're talking about the actual rifle today. So I'm going to start real basic. I'm going to do this in two episodes. Uh, the next episode is going to be more about, you know, getting it set up, getting you on target. This episode is going to be purely about you've never bought a rifle before, but you want one and you want to go hunt with a rifle. What should I look for as a hunter with a rifle? And that's what we're going to get started doing today. And now you're like, okay, it's time. I'm going to go buy one. All right. What should I get? I get a lot of questions about, you know, what kind of caliber should I use? What, what what am I looking for? You know, what, you know, this caliber seems to have these numbers, that caliber seems to have those numbers. What I'm going to tell you is when it comes to deer hunting, first of all, you got to look at your local, your local regulations. There's some places that don't allow, don't allow you to hunt game with something under 300. So we're talking about 300. I mean, uh, the, you know, the caliber within an inch. So when you hear 30 out six, everybody says, Oh, what's that? Is it, you know, 306 thousandths of an inch? No, it is a 300 caliber and it was instituted in, you know, Oh six. So there's a lot of these little, 
when I say 06, I mean 1906. But there's a lot of little weird things like that when it comes to calipers. Now, I'm going to tell you straight up from the very beginning, um, if you're going to look to go shooting, you're going to look to be using your rifle more. You're not going to be wanting to break the bank. You want something that's going to be a little bit more popular. And, of course, you know, you want to be unique. You want to be you. You want to have something that is a little bit different from what everybody else has. But I'm going to tell you from the very beginning, getting something popular is going to get you in the driver's seat a lot more. So when I say something more popular, I'm going to talk about 308, which is kind of the standard when you hear about a bolt-action rifle. Uh, the next one is 30-06. Now, 30-06 is a little bit harder to come across these days. It's a little bit more expensive, but it's still available. The next one is my personal favorite. It's the one that I use. It's 6.5 Creedmoor. Now, when I first started shooting, 6.5 Creedmoor was still kind of in its infancy. It's hard to come by. And back then, I would have told you, never do this. This is stupid. Well, now... It's more popular. So 6.5 Creedmoor is definitely a good option. It does fall under 300. It actually comes out to, I want to say it's like 256 or 264 because that's a metric measurement rather than, um, you know, an English measurement. So th- I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is that is a consideration that you want to think about right in the beginning is what caliber because you're going to be locked into that one caliber after you buy this rifle until you buy another rifle. So I got locked in on 6.5. I don't totally regret it. There's some states that I really can't use it in or that they don't recommend you use it in. I think it's coming a little bit it's coming a little bit more into focus for the whole hunting community and like my round is actually going to be more applicable than, you know, most. But then you've got you've got calibers like 300 Win Mag, which they are available. They're more expensive. They're, you know, it's a little bit harder to, you know, it's got more recoil, it's a little bit harder to shoot. Um Let's see, what else do I got here? Well, actually, no. The, for the four calibers that I would recommend, if you're buying just purely a hunting rifle, uh, are those four. It's a 308, 6.5, 30-06, and 300 Win Mag. Now, everybody's going to say, well, what about 223? You know, the round that an AR shoots. Well, we're not tactical here. We're hunting. 223 is really going to limit you on your options of what you can hunt. So just if, you're, if we're just talking about hunting rifles, stay away from it. The next thing is the actual rifle now. I get a lot of questions about, you know, what brand do you like and all this stuff. Everybody makes a usable hunting rifle. There's not one that's just so bad that you want to stay away from it. Now, I will say there is one really popular one. It's the Remington 700. They've had some issues in the past. Uh, They do offer more features in it right now. But, like, the, the Remington 700 that you can go out and buy right now, most of them don't have a removable magazine. I'm going to get into a little bit more detail about that. But that's one that I'm not going to say no to, but I'm going to say, you know, maybe steer away from it because there are better options out there. So three hunting rifles that I really like, well, three companies, I should say. First is the Ruger American. I've shot a couple of them. It is a very, it's a great working rifle. It's the, the bolt feels super smooth. It is a little bit, it's a little bit harder to pull back and it's, you know, but it is a great first gun option. And I'm, I was actually really impressed with it. They're not super accurate. We're not going to be sniper elite with this thing, but it is going to get you started. The next one is the Mossberg Patriot. Now, I've never personally shot one. I hear of a lot of people that swear by them. Mossberg is, you know, a cheaper company, but they are proven. And, I mean, I would say that it's probably a great beginner option. Um, the one that I really like is Savage. Now, my rifle in particular, I kind of made this mistake And I'm trying to help you not make this mistake. I thought that I was buying this rifle to be, you know, a sharpshooter, right? And I was thinking, well, I can still use it for hunting and all this stuff. Well, I bought bought a Savage 10T. It's like a Cabela's special, or at least it was, you know, however many years ago I bought a rifle. But 
It's big, bulky, heavy. It's got a bull barrel. It's got a big handle for the bolt, uh, which I don't. <laughs> I liked in the beginning because, like, yeah, you can grab this thing from anywhere, but hunting, it's going to be a pain in the butt. I've never, I'll be completely honest with you, I've never rifle hunted, but I've been through the weeds with the bow, and I think that getting started rifle hunting is going to be quite a bit easier and uh, less adjustments to make than the bow. So my gun weighs about 10-ish pounds. Uh, with the scope on there, it's probably like 12, 12 and a half, which is heavy. That's just a big, heavy rifle. Got a 24-inch barrel. So maybe you want to stay away from that. Maybe you want to shoot for something in the, you know, in the low like the really low 20s, like 20, 22. Um, mine's a 24, but it's also a bull barrel. So don't stay away from 24. It's just that you don't want to get the bull barrel. So we've gone over the rifles. We've gone over the calibers. Now, the one thing you're going to hear when you talk about people buying a rifle and trying to get the most accurate setup from the get-go, the one thing that I would have thought in the very beginning is get the best rifle you can get, all that stuff. And I'm going to say the rifle is important. In fact, it is what you're shooting. It's probably the most important. But the thing that you want to put your money into, to me, is scopes. Now, I can dive into the weeds, and I can tell you all about this stuff. And I've I've done so much research and all this. And what it basically boils down to one simple message. Spend your money and get some good glass. Now, I'm not going to like put a plug in here for like whatever brands. Now, I bought a cheap one off of Sportsman's Guide. It works. It's big, but it, it works, and it has a crazy zoom on it that's just not, I think it's got like a 30 or 32 zoom on it, not something that you need for deer hunting. And, you know, right from the get-go, you're going to see stuff that's lower zoom, and w- when you think about shooting a deer, you're probably not going to want to go more than 300 yards, at least in your first few years. So getting a super high-powered zoom is just not a necessity. It's just not, it's not something that, you know, you're really going to need. Now they do make a couple of other things. Now, something I want to get into, it's called first focal plane. First focal plane is where the actual reticle, like your crosshairs zoom in with you as you zoom in. Now people say, oh, this is an obstruction. It just gets too big. And yeah, I agree. But at the same time, your holdover marks for distance, if you're trying to like acquire distance and shoot faster, you're not going to be going around clicking your, you know, your adjustments. You could just hold over. Now, with the first focal plane, those numbers are, you know, those hash marks, they're dialed in. It's what you're going to be shooting. And no matter how you zoom it, those are going to be accurate. Uh, Second focal plane, which is the most common, and it's also the cheaper one. As you zoom in, that crosshair, it never changes. It's the same. So those holdover marks and, like, your windage marks and all the stuff that's actually on the reticle, you cannot bank on those. You, now, if you dialed it in at a certain power, you can bank on it then. But once you change your power, you, you those have lost their true accuracy. Now, we've all heard the old saying, you get what you pay for. But when it comes to rifle scopes, you know, with the quality of glass, it's, it, it couldn't be more true. I would say the cheaper scopes that you buy, the foggier they're going to be. They're, they're not going to be able to handle, you know, certain weather conditions. They might get moisture inside of them, all of that stuff. So... Put your money into the scope rather than totally into the rifle because you can buy a pretty good beginner rifle that's going to shoot as accurately as you can, and but the scope is going to make the huge difference. The scope is going to be clarity. It's going to be the thing that comes, you know, it's going to bring you back. Now, it's it obviously is the most overlooked thing, I think. Everybody says, oh, I just need the rifle. I can slap any scope on there, which is true, but you don't really want to bank on that. You want to get your good glass right from the beginning. 
I'm a big fan of Vortex, and I was, you know, back before they really started getting like super popular as of recently. Uh, I have, you know, Vortex binoculars, all of that stuff. Loophole makes a great scope. I've seen nothing but good stuff from these guys. Uh, you know, good reviews. I've held a bunch of them. I've never personally shot with one, but uh, Loophole's another good brand. And you might you might go look these up and be like, this guy's crazy. I can go buy this one for much cheaper. And yeah. You're definitely right, but when it comes to glass, you you just really want to get a good brand. One last thing to consider when it comes to scopes, and this is an option that you're going to see, and you're going to, you're going to think to yourself, now, what is this? I've never heard of this. So there's going to be two different types that you find. There's going to be Milrad and the MOA. Now, the easier one to understand in terms of how you would get to explain it, and I'm, I'll go into detail about this next week, but uh, MOA is the most popular. So just in that case, I would go with MOA. You can find more stuff out about it. You don't want to go buy a luxury car that nobody can tell you how to use it or work on it or whatever, or you know everything's real expensive for it. You want to buy something that is you know proven and people use it a lot. So I would go with MOA. MOA is it's a lot easier to understand on paper. It just is. Milrad. I've learned about it. I, I would be able to walk up to one and like, okay, you know. This is how, you, you know, this adjustment means that on a mill rad. Now, with MOA, it, it, it just couldn't be easier. So, one meter of angle is one inch at 100 yards. So, when you hear of quarter MOA adjustments, so at 100 yards, one click is one quarter inch at 100 yards. And, it, and that's just super simple. It's super simple to get started with. That would be my, you know, MOA would get my endorsement just because of the simplicity of it. You're not going to be sniper elite out there trying to like okay well you know 12 clicks is gonna get me three inches and then i'm you know that accounts for that no you're just shooting a deer or you know whatever you're hunting at you know a set yardage that you set in your mind already so go with moa and <laughs> I, i'm gonna stop it there because i can talk about this all day and i'm sure you don't want to hear that next episode is going to be okay you've got your rifle you got your scope what do i do now and I can't wait to talk to you about that. Uh, this is one of my favorite topics besides like, you know, bows and stuff like that, which is truly my favorite topic. But this is something that I spent a lot of time, money, and I spent, uh, I would say, I would say the a good portion of my brain power went to dialing in my rifle when I first got it. And I've, I've kind of proven my method with a few people. Can't wait to get started with you. But let us know what you think. If you want to hear about something when it comes to calipers, you want to get more dialed in, email at us at uh, whistlemissionpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Sorry about the audio quality today. I'm sure you've heard a few pops like that one just there. I'm down in my basement. I didn't have time to go over to gyms this weekend to go record. So I'm in my basement. I hope the audio quality is you know, up to par. But uh, thanks for joining me. Can't wait to talk to you next week. And uh, yeah, we'll move on with the podcast. Thanks again. That's all we have time for this week, folks. Uh, thanks for listening. Any questions, comments, email us at whistlemissionpodcast at gmail.com. Think about if you want to be interviewed on here, either over the internet or in person or however we're going to do it. And that's another thing you can email us about. Tomorrow is Resurrection Mary for Storytime Day and uh, Storytime Friday. And for anybody that knows that, that's a classic. And then next week, yours truly wrote next week's called Deer Camp. Again, thanks for listening. Enjoy your week.